Hey guys, this is Adam Carswell, host of the Dream Chasers podcast, and this is your Next Level Weekly Update. Hello, hello, and welcome to week number two of a beautiful December 2019. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope you're seeing some snowflakes. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you're chilling on a beach right now as you listen to this weekly update. This week, I have a one-of-a-kind message for you, something we have never done here before on Dream Chasers. Now, a few weeks back, we published an interview for the Next Level Weekly Update. That was advice on how to start your own podcast. If you are listening right now and thinking about starting your own podcast, go back to the Next Level Weekly Update for November 11th. Fast forwarding back to right here, right now, This week, I would like to share with you an interview between two very influential people in my life. I've been very blessed to get to know both of these individuals too. We have Jeff Berwick interviewing Doug Casey on his show. Jeff is someone who we've had on Dream Chasers in the past. If you go back and look somewhere between episodes 40 and 60, Jeff was a guest on our show. And then I've had the honor of having the guest on his show, which I'm about to share with you, Doug Casey, on my other show, The Lieberland Show. Jeff kind of explains to the listeners throughout this interview how Doug Casey was basically a role model in his life. And I just really like that because in many, many ways, I look up to these two in a lot of their thinking process in particular. Throughout this interview, they cover many different topics about what's going on in the world, how we can be one step ahead of any form of chaos or corruption, and how we can simply better stay alert. There's a few parts in particular where Doug speaks about how if he was 30 again, how he would definitely move to the continent of Africa. During my one-on-one conversations that I've had with Doug, this is not necessarily in this interview, he's advised me that if he was my age, he would move to the country of Namibia. So that's something that I still have had sitting on the back burner of my mind. As you guys know, I'm very comfortable here in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. Yet at the same time, you you just never know. So I really like that part of this interview. I also like a certain part in the interview where Jeff asks Doug, how is he diversifying his portfolio? How is he making sure that his wealth and his money is staying protected with all of the question marks that are going on in the world right now? Those are two highlights that I liked out of many highlights that you guys will get to hear for yourself. If you feel like you've never really gotten to know where I stand, I guess you could say politically. I don't even really like that word that much, but that might be how you would view it. Definitely buckle up and get ready because this is it. Happy December 9th, 2019. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dollar Vigilante, helping you to survive and prosper during and after the dollar collapse. And one of the reasons the Dollar Vigilantes even exists is because of our guest coming on right now. It's Doug Casey, who I kind of started reading his writing around the late 1990s, I believe. And I I think we had his stuff up on my website in Canada called Stockhouse.com, which was the top financial website in Canada. And I, I actually don't remember exactly, but I remember thinking... Man, I don't know what it is about this guy, but when I read his stuff, it's like finally someone's saying something that that I that I totally like. Why why aren't more people saying these sort of things? And uh, had him featured on Stockist.com. We originally met in about uh, 2001 or 2002, I believe. Had dinner in Vancouver, and that's when he asked me a number of questions. He said, "Oh, you know what you are, don't you?" And I said, "No, what am I?" And he said, "You're an anarchist." And I responded, "What? Those people who throw bombs and stuff?" <laughs> that's what I knew about anarchy back in. 2001, 2002, that led me into reading into all kinds of stuff about libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, uh, Austrian economics, and it eventually led to the starting of the Dollar Vigilante in 2010. So super excited to have on, coming in from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Doug Casey. Good to see you, my friend. And it's a pleasure to see you, Jeff, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again in at Anarchapulco. 
Yeah, me too. I'm super excited you're coming. I've been wanting to come since we started it in 2014. And uh, you agreed twice, I think. And once it just uh, didn't work out for some reason, uh, some sort of travel thing. And last year you weren't feeling that well. So super excited to hear that uh, you'll be coming up in uh, this coming in Narcopoco and the Dollar Vigilante Summit. So super excited about that. And I know you've been busy. It seems like you're hanging out mostly down in South America now. Uh, you're in Buenos Aires. You have your place there in uh, Capajate in Argentina as well. I think you're also in Europe. Uruguay uh, quite a bit uh, seems to be your kind of neck of the woods and maybe that's because you've been writing a number of books is uh, is that the reason why because you've uh, you have your high ground book series which uh, if if you haven't heard about it you have to check it out we'll have the links to them down below uh, the first one was called the speculator and the second is called the drug lord and the third one's coming out uh, in 2020 so is, is that what you're hiding out in South America for just to write some books yeah, I, ho I hope I don't have to hide out here after the book is published. Uh, <laughs> uh, the third one, uh, the series, it's a series of seven books, which is very ambitious. And what I'm trying to do, as you'll recall, Jeff, is uh, reform the unjustly besmirched reputations of uh, six highly politically incorrect occupations. And Speculator was the first, which is about a a mining fraud and a bush war in Africa, and it's pretty good. It's about the mining business, basically. Everybody hates speculators, and our hero uh, becomes uh, a drug lord, uh, both FDA and DEA regulated drugs. And in both instances, they, the uh, government steals a couple hundred million dollars from him in both cases and puts him in jail at the end of drug lord. So now he's a pissed off camper, and he decides there are just some people that need killing. And uh, the third one's called Assassin. And here we explore the techniques of political assassination, uh, the reasons for it, the history of it, starting with Caesar and through Lincoln. Good idea, bad idea. And the morality of uh, taking people out, which is very important. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a good read. It's almost done. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, well, like I said, we'll have the links to them all down below. And I definitely want to ask you about the uh, markets and, and uh, things like that. But also, uh, I find more interesting uh, than even that, uh, just your basic views on life, uh, especially looking at myself, actually, I kind of, uh, I consider you like a trailblazer in what I'm currently doing. You were doing stuff like this back in like the 70s and stuff before the internet. Uh, you were getting, you had your newsletter. I don't even know how you sent it out. It must have been with stamps. You must have been like... Well, stamps, exactly. Stamps <laughs> and envelopes. <laughs> yeah, like, and you were traveling across the world, uh, doing like all kinds of just um, you know, sort of like in, uh, speculating, investing, uh, just checking out places, a lot of things that I do now, but without the internet, I, I, I don't know how, like, so what would you used to do back in those days? So you traveled to Africa, uh, you'd want to write something up for like one of your things. Would you like fax? Well, I, I don't even know if fax existed back then. <laughs> what, did you, what did you have to like, send like uh, carrier pigeons? Yeah, in those days, fax was... <laughs> A really advanced technology. Uh, <laughs> what you could do is I'd send the copy out handwritten on yellow paper, wow. incidentally. Oh, wow. By courier. And uh, <laughs> we'd go to a secretary and she would um, <clears throat> type it. And then we'd send it to a printer who would, you know, put it in print and print it. And it's amazing how the world has changed. I mean, it's. It was a different world in many ways, many, many ways. That's just one of them. I mean, back in those days, uh, I'd often travel 
uh, or try to travel on my World Service Authority passport. <laughs> and I did so successfully in a number of countries. This was a uh, private document printed up by a guy named Gary Davis after World War II, because uh, he burned his US passport in Paris. Uh, he was a bomber pilot during World War II, and he just got fed up. And um, so he burned his US passport, and then he found he couldn't leave France. So Gary was an innovative guy. I got to know him uh, before he kicked the bucket a couple of years ago. And um, he printed up his own passports. It looked uh, very much like United Nations passports. So it's a long story about that. But uh, in those days, we're talking the 70s and 80s, uh, you could, because I used it successfully. I traveled to Iceland on my World Service Authority passport, a European country, Peru, Honduras, Costa Rica, French Polynesia, uh, and more interesting was the countries where they wouldn't take it back then. Now they don't take it anywhere, except at uh, maybe a border station where you're going from Liberia to Equatorial Guinea. The, they don't know, they don't care. But, uh, it was a great thing to have. I still have it. Yeah, that's great. I uh, we, I was just on a trip with Joe B. Weeks, who's a friend of mine. He has a bit of a private prop plane, and we we're going around to different islands in the Caribbean. And he actually got in into a number of countries with uh, he has. It's not a world uh, uh, passport like you had, uh, but it's a it's another similar kind of one. And he got into a number of places with it. And I was a little bit sad because I was going to bring my Liberland diplomatic passport, uh, but uh, the Canadian government actually well, they took me in the back room like they always do in Vancouver. Vancouver is the worst place for me. I don't know what list I'm on. In Vancouver, but as soon as I show up, they just take me to the back room and they go through everything for hours. And uh, they actually didn't find my marijuana. They did, I don't know how. They didn't find my steroids. Uh, they're like, what's this? I'm like, vitamins. Uh, but they found my Liberland diplomatic passport and uh, they said, uh, uh, we're taking this. I'm like, why? And they go, that's a uh, fake uh, document. I'm like, the Canadian passport's more of a fake document than the Liberland passport. <laughs> so they, they took it and then uh, I couldn't bring it on this trip. Unfortunately, I was hoping to get some stamps in it. But uh, yeah, I just look at the, you know, the, it's so easy for us to do things now. Like, I don't know if you saw Lukardowski and I, we went on Epstein's Island recently. Like, we just roll up. Uh, we, we've got our cameras ready, 4K cameras. It looks as good as like a Hollywood picture. You know, it's all stabilized. Uh, we run on, go, go off, upload it. And then it's basically all over the world within a few hours. Quite a difference from uh, when you were doing your thing. Mm. Well, <laughs> I forget who it was that said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And that's true. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm quite amazed at what we can do. And of course, this all came from the market. Uh, <laughs> despite what Al Gore said, said he created the internet, <laughs> these people are delusional. Uh, now, of course, Al Gore is trying to sell people on uh, if they uh, drive their cars too much, uh, that they, they owe money, <laughs> which is a pretty funny little scam. He's got it. It's worked out fairly well for him. He's made, it looks like billions now. He's buying all kinds of uh, oceanfront property, even though he says the oceans are going to <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about that. Have you seen this whole thing with uh, global warming and Greta and all this? What do you think about that? Oh, it's really shameful that they're, you know, they have this poor, deluded little girl uh, <laughs> that they've programmed like a, a zombie. And she says, how dare you? You've stolen my youth. Well, her parents are actually child abusers for having programmed her. I mean, she's got no knowledge or no experience. And this whole 
sham about global warming. It's, it's ridiculous. The Earth's climate has been changing for the last four and a half billion years. And it's, been, it's changed over the last, since the last ice age. And it, it's constantly changing. So is it warming or cooling right now? Well, I don't know. I don't think they do either. And why is it warming or cooling? Well, they certainly don't know, but it's certainly not carbon dioxide. This is all a, a huge scam. The worst thing about it, other than that it gives impetus to these political types, is that I'm afraid that after it's all debunked, it's going to discredit uh, the idea of science to the average guy, because he's been told that 97% of scientists believe in global warming, which is a lie, uh, but it's gonna discredit science to the average guy. And in the context of the uh, kind of chaos that we're likely to go into in the next few years, that's especially dangerous. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not good. In fact, I, I hate to be too gloom and doomy, Jeff, but <laughs> as I look around the world, and I'm even taking this from a long-term historical point of view, uh, I know many, many good things have happened, making the world much, much better. Um, but there are other things from a personal freedom point of view that are making it much, much worse. And that trend is accelerating. So uh, it's, it's a scary time. And we'll find out how scary when the economy collapses next. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, will probably be a big impetus for some major things to start to happen. We're already seeing that, actually. I don't know if you've been paying attention. I don't know if you, I, I don't watch the television news, of course, but I do hear about things like uh, all kinds of uprisings all over the place. Of course, I'm sure you know about Hong Kong and uh, the Yellow Vest movement in France. Uh, there was a pretty big one in Chile. There's There's been one in uh, uh, Ecuador, one in, uh, there's a bunch, actually. There's a big one in Beirut. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, there's been one in Russia and forget about Venezuela and yeah. when the economy goes bad you're going to find them all over the world yeah that's what I've been kind of saying is this is like happening before the economy is really tanked I can't imagine what's going to happen afterwards and I think uh you know I think what you have said in the past is that you kind of fear that once this all comes down and it will and we'll get into that <clears throat> that uh, it'll just drive people to want even stronger government and even more controls because they'll put the blame on who else? Well, they'll put it on China. They always have to. Russia, Iran, North Korea, all the boogeymen that they've created. Uh, but then they'll also put it on the capitalists, right? And and how do you see that going? And I, it's interesting because you're from the U.S. and you actually spend most of your time in South America now. You're telling me that you don't really want to spend too much time in the U.S. anymore. You're not going to. Uh, up in the U.S., it's like the craziest place where you have like half of the kids think socialism is a good thing. So where do you see this all headed? Well, I'm afraid it's going to get serious in the U.S. because the people in the red counties and the people in the blue counties actually hate each other. Uh, they can't communicate with, with each other. They're like watching totally separate movies. They see reality <laughs> differently. They've got different moral values, everything. Uh, this is like the stuff of a civil war. Uh, the only reason we won't have a civil war in the U.S. is because half the people are um, zonked out on psychoactive drugs like Prozac and Zoloft and a hundred others, literally. And the other half are fat and sitting in their mother's basements playing video games all day. 
But other than that, we'd have a civil war. Well, that and the fact that nobody's familiar with guns anymore in the U.S. But um, I think the U.S. is really ripe to break into several different countries uh, because it's actually turned into an empire, domestic as well as worldwide. So uh, the colors of the map on the wall are going to be running in the future. But that's just the U.S. Um, you were talking about a bunch of other things, and I went off on a little bit of a tangent. I, yeah, I was just mentioning a few things. I, I'm actually curious about your thoughts as well on South America, since you spend a lot of time there, uh, especially Argentina, which has gone through, as we know, so many crazy ups and downs in the political sort of and the monetary. They've had so many hyperinflations. Uh, I think I was there last year, so I'm not uh, totally up to date, but and I haven't been paying attention to the political situation. So maybe give us some of your thoughts on South America. Well, I love Argentina, but it's definitely going the wrong way, too. I had high hopes for a while when Mauricio Macri was elected four years ago. Uh, and he got rid of the retenciones. How stupid are these people that they had duties of up to 35% on agricultural exports. Before you put it on the boat, you pay the government 35%. And then if you have anything left over, you pay income taxes and everything else. So <clears throat> they were destroying the agricultural industry of this country. He got rid of that. He got rid of the foreign exchange controls. He did a lot of good things. But then he lost momentum, and he couldn't communicate with the people. But here in this country, it's a class structure. And the people that voted in Christina again, they did it because they want free stuff, which she'll, she'll give them. And they don't talk to the upper classes. Well, they work as servants and stuff like that, but there's no communication with them. It's not like in the U.S., where we don't have a class structure. But no, Argentina is going to go downhill radically, as will the U.S. And I don't care. I don't, I bet, I made a money bet in uh, 20, uh, the summer of 2016 that Trump was going to be elected, and I won that bet. I don't think I'll make that bet this year. I think some lunatic Democrat is going to be elected. Maybe Bloomberg, who's not crazy, but he was bad enough. Uh, but whoever's elected, uh, I pity the poor fool, because the economy, if it doesn't collapse this year, in which case Trump won't be elected, uh, it's going to collapse shortly thereafter, and then it's really going to hit the fan. And, of course, as you know, the answer is going to be do something. The government's got to do something. So they're going to print up money. It's going to be a nightmare. So uh, I feel good being outside of the U.S., where I'm treated as a valuable asset, a tourist who can go away, as opposed to a, a milk cow who might be turned into a beef cow. Because um, the thing is, is that this thing about the rich getting richer, it's true. It's absolutely true. Because with the Federal Reserve having, having printed up trillions of dollars since the start of the crisis in 2008, really started in 2007, um, all that money has poured into the pockets of the rich people. That's why the stock market's boomed, and the bond market's boomed, and real estate's boomed. So the inflation's been in financial assets, which they think is a good thing, but it's, it's setting up, it, these things are bubbles. It's gonna be a catastrophe for everybody when the bubble breaks. Everybody. It, well, this, yeah, absolutely. This, I've been watching this thing. It's gonna be one for the record books, so we should all be happy that uh, we get to see this stuff. I just don't want to see it out my front window. I want to see it on the widescreen, out of my farm.
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that some people, it's funny how people think. Some people, uh, even here in Acapulco, the, I uh, had a young guy write in. He said, uh, my friends are warning me not to go to Mexico. What do you think? It's like, what do you, what do you, who are, like, are you a man at all? Like, are you scared? Uh, did you hear about some news report? All that kind of stuff. And I hear the same all the time. And I've traveled not as much as you. I think you've been to about 200 countries. I'm just a bit over 100. Uh, uh, the last count, roughly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, though I got a huge gaping hole in Africa on my travel map and the, and the stands. I haven't been to any stands. I haven't been to Africa. I've been to almost everywhere else. And uh, I've been to enough places in Africa to know that I, I don't really, I'm not in a rush to go back. <laughs> it's like, like, it's like nothing works right in most places. Like I'm, I'm sure there's some nice places. Yeah. You know, Af actually Africa, uh, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again uh, because it might interest your demographic in particular. If I was a young guy, again, if I was 30, roughly, and wanted to make my fortune, I would head off to Africa, no question about it. Uh, why? Because when you want to make money, you want to be, you don't want to be on a level playing field. You want to be on a playing field where it's tilted in your favor. And you go to Africa, you've got experiences, connections, money, knowledge, all kinds of things that the locals don't have. And you're an expert from afar automatically. So almost any African country, if I go there within a week or two weeks or a month, I can be sitting down with the president. And I've done that lots of times. Do I want to do that anymore? Usually it's to sell them on an outrageous idea to transform their shithole country into <laughs> Singapore on steroids. but. It never works for all kinds of reasons I could explain. But if I was a young guy today, I'd go to Africa and just bump it, bump, bounce around and you'll find opportunity that you won't find anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm also getting older like you. So I, I, you know, I go to the nicest hotel in Zimbabwe and it's like the lights don't work and like the internet's slow. Like I'm, I'm getting very, very like, I'm like uh, <laughs> spoiled at this point, basically. It's good to be so, Yeah, good. like, yeah, so I I don't want to personally spend a lot of time in Africa. I'm sure there's some nice places. I'm sure I haven't. I've only been to a few places. But my point, uh, actually, the the thing I wanted to get to was so many people are so scared of traveling and all this stuff. And as someone who's, you've been in all kinds. I've been in. Uh, uh, where was I? I was in uh, Somalia. That was interesting for sure. And we had to hire about 10 guys with uh, AK-47s. Um, <clears throat> I've been to uh, Venezuela during, it was about two years ago, so it wasn't as bad as it is now, but it was still like you had to run out of the airport or you might get killed, that kind of stuff. So I've been in a few kind of crazy places, but you've been in, all, in crazy places way before even like the internet, like the Congo and all this kind of stuff. So when you hear these like young guys going, is it safe to go to Acapulco? Like, will the airport taxi driver try to like rape me or something it's like what do you think about this like what has what has happened to guys it's embarrassing how <laughs> people are in fact uh your best guide to travel is not a travel agent it's the u.s state department what you do is you look <laughs> and see where they have travel advisories out where they tell you not to go and that's where you should go why i mean <clears throat> uh not the last time but the time before i went to israel it was during the second intifada which was you know, when the Palestinians were supposed to burn the place down. It was wonderful. It was <laughs> very safe because the Israelis were really on guard. Uh, anything I visit, I was the only tourist there. It was wonderful. The hotels were empty. 
That's when you go to places. You don't stay away from them, like all the idiots were doing, like Hong Kong. Right now, it'd be a perfect time to go to Hong Kong. I mean, all the tourist places are empty, the restaurants. And they, this is when you go to these places. It's, it's crazy. You had a great story once that I remember. Uh, you were in Lebanon, I believe, and you were there during a war, and you said the war was really on only one side of town. Do you remember that story? And if you do, maybe yeah. you can mention it. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like a different world. Unless you read the newspaper or watch television, you wouldn't know what's going on. <laughs> so, you, so you, just, you have dinner in the nice part of town, and uh, over like 20 blocks away is like a full-on war, but it's not really affecting you. Yeah, it, 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 Exactly. These people stay in their neighborhoods. Like people say, God, isn't it dangerous to go to Los Angeles? You got the crooks and the bloods killing each other. Well, no, not if you go to Beverly Hills. Yeah, same with Chicago, south side of Chicago. Like, you go to Chicago, you can have some nice shopping, some nice restaurants, but if you go to the south side, bullets are whizzing by your head. It's just like, you just have to have common sense, right? It's, but it's amazing, like, in, in, even at today's internet age, how, well, I guess most people just haven't traveled, right? And I, I guess that's probably a good reason that we're talking about this is, uh, like, we've both traveled a lot, and we know, like, it's not that dangerous out there in the world. Like, have you ever felt, like, really in danger during all your travels? Yeah, there's a couple of times that were sketchy. Like, uh, I remember one time in the Congo, and this was between the wars, and uh, we were there with a squad of boy soldiers. They were wearing uh, uh, the DRC's uniform, but that means absolutely nothing. I mean, these guys, these guys were droopy-eyed killers. They would have fit right in with the Crips or the Bloods. <laughs> and you can't tell because there's nothing more dangerous on the face of the planet than a young, unmarried male, especially in a, a shithole country. So, yeah, <laughs> that. And in Haiti, which is actually, uh, I've been to Haiti a lot over the years, including uh, last time was about two years ago. And that place is really sketchy. It used to be the safest country in the world during the 70s and even the early 80s when Papa Doc and Baby Doc were there. But now that place is, it actually is very dangerous. And, and, and I don't say, I, 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 I don't use that word lightly because uh, these things, oh, it's dangerous. Usually it's not. But there are some places that you really have to watch out because these, these people are in a lot of trouble and they act like it. And there's no rule of law and you're a target, especially if you're a white guy and everybody else is black and they hate whites and you know, the usual drill. Yeah, so there are a few places, but other than that. But who the hell wants to go to Haiti? What the hell was I doing? Well, <laughs> talking to the government, I wanted to talk to the government about my crazy plan to turn around their shithole and make it into a real country. But that was hopeless for many reasons I could talk about. That's why I was in Zimbabwe a couple of years ago too. But I, I think I'm gonna give up on that. I've kind of been there and done that. Yeah, you've, I, I've known because I know you that you've done this quite a bit. You've gone to these small countries. You've tried to talk them into basically becoming like an anarcho-capitalist type country. And, and they'll turn into, as you said, Singapore and steroids in a few years. But uh, for a number of reasons, they, they just don't want to do it. And uh, I think actually the better way now is to start up new countries, uh, sort of like Lieberland and maybe buy an island like Roger Veer is trying to do and try to do these sort of things. Um, and, and then sort of lead by example. I was going to say, you know... And I was just reading in the paper the other day, uh, I spent a month in Suriname uh, years ago and spent a lot of time 
with the commander, the military dictator, Desi Bautersay. I just been reading in the paper that he's been convicted of murder and he's the president of the country right now. <laughs> convicted of, he's been convicted of murder uh, shortly before I got there and, and, and got to know him. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, that just popped <laughs> into my mind. But that was, I thought that was a very safe country. Weird, quiet, exotic. Uh, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just talking about uh, uh, different uh, ways the, the world uh, could go in the future as well. Uh, maybe some anarcho-capitalist countries hopefully coming on. Uh, and also with this coming crisis and collapse and... Uh, you know, as we pointed out, many of these countries are already in sort of like turmoil and uprisings before this has even hit. I can't imagine how bad it's going to be after. So let's get into the financial and economic and monetary side of things. Where do you currently see things at? Well, because of all the money printing that's been going on worldwide, we're in a stock market bubble. We're in a bond market hyper bubble. We're in a real estate bubble in big cities very dangerous, don't want any part of any of that. Uh, commodities are very, very cheap. So that's the place to be. One commodity that I'm most interested in right now is I'm short a lot of hog puts. Uh, hogs are at 60 cents, are selling under the cost of production in the US. Half of the hog herd in China has been wiped out by Asian swine flu and China's by far the world's largest producer and consumer of hogs. Um, so, uh, and there's huge premium on, on hog puts, a little bit less now. So I'm doing that. I'm very bullish on gold and silver, very bullish on both of those. And mining stocks, especially the little crappy ones, most of them are crap, uh, but there are some very interesting ones and they're really in real terms about at all time lows. So that's what I'm, not doing, and that's what I'm doing. The cannabis bubble, which was very, very good to me, has burst, and um, it could be an interesting business in the future. But since there's hundreds of public cannabis stocks, most of them are going bankrupt. It's going to be huge overproduction of cannabis. So don't play with that anymore. Uh, I like the cryptos, Bitcoin. I didn't believe in Bitcoin. You were in that. Very smart of you. I didn't see what its use value was, but it's a money transfer device. It's a way to obviate banks and exchange controls. I didn't cotton on to that until August of, of uh, 17, uh, which wasn't when it was late, but not too late for me. But now I'm interested in these um, uh, secondary and tertiary, these second and third generation cryptocurrencies, uh, which really are very interesting and uh, my friend Marco Wutzer, uh, who really knows about this stuff, uh, he believes we could have 100 to 1 and 1,000 to 1 shots in those. So I'm buying those. Might get lucky. That probably covers the, wall, the, the waterfront, Jeff, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a bit. Um, interestingly enough, I found out about Bitcoin. The first time I heard the word was at La, uh, La Stancia de Cafajate, your place in Argentina. And it was... Uh, <clears throat> Oh, man, what was his name? I think his name was Bruce or something. I forget, actually. I should go back and look at it. Uh, was that a Belgian guy? Um, uh, he gave me a Bitcoin. He gave me a physical Bitcoin, which exists, incidentally. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that was the guy. And Trace Mayer happened to... dollars at the time, and I was too stupid to cotton on to it. Still got the Bitcoin, yeah. though. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Trace Mayer happened to be sitting there. And, you know, Trace, he's a very smart guy. And and so um, so this guy, uh, I think it was the Belgian guy, uh, told me about it. And I was like, well, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to look into it. And then the next day, Trace said, hey, do you want to, I'll give you your first Bitcoin if you want. And I was like, okay, yeah, why not? And so he sent it to me. And as soon as I saw how it all worked, my eyes just opened up big. And uh, stupidly, though, just like you, it, I, I actually, it took me a while to... You know, at first I was like, it took me a few months to really get my head around everything. And then once I did, it was still very hard to buy. So uh, the only place in the world that I knew of that you could buy Bitcoin back in 2011 was Mt. Gox, the Magic the Gad uh, Gathering trading card fantasy card site in Japan. And I was like, this sounds sketchy. I'll wait until, it, you know, I'll wait a little bit. I'm sure some exchanges will pop up, then I'll buy some and stuff like that. If I was smart, I would have been mining it. I would have been buying it, transferring it off Mt. Gox. So I didn't really really start buying myself until it was at least 50 or $100, that sort of thing, which was about 2012, 2013. So, um, but a very interesting market for sure. I'm you actually very curious. with these uh, second and third generation uh, uh, cryptos? What's up? Are, are you doing anything with these second and third generation cryptos? Oh yeah, like we're, we have uh, something called the Crypto Vigilante, so we cover a number of them. Uh, one that I think actually that you should know about if you don't is Monero XMR. Uh, it, is, it is all the top privacy, all the top anarcho-capitalist privacy guys, basically the same kind of people who started up Bitcoin. They realize Bitcoin isn't private enough, it's a public ledger. Uh, so this is basically black market money. This is free market money that no one can track, no one knows how much you have, and uh, knowing you, uh, you would really like it. So I would look into that. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a number of, of good ones out there that we that we track. Uh, I'm actually quite curious about your views on the precious metals markets. Uh, you know, I was just thinking this morning as I as I was just you know in the shower. That's when you do some thinking. I was like, man, it's actually 2011 was when both gold and silver hit their latest peak, their last peak. So it's been like eight years since that that that's pretty unbelievable given the amount of money printing going on uh the federal reserve has more than tripled the money supply in the last 10 years uh, uh and gold and silver is still not you know they're kind of just not doing much what's your thoughts on that i think it's all backing up and in, in back of a dam and the dam is going to burst um look the russian and chinese governments uh if you can believe the numbers, and you can believe some of these numbers, I'm sure, have been buying a lot of gold. Because why? Nobody wants to use US dollars. It's a hot potato. They don't want to use the currency of their adversary who might become their enemy. So they're buying gold. They don't trust each other's currencies, although I expect one or both the Chinese and the Russians are going to back the ruble and the yuan with gold. But if you don't want to use dollars, and they shouldn't use dollars because everything done in dollars goes through New York, bad idea for them, for anybody, quite frankly, you're going to wind up with gold. So the world, gold is going to be re-monetized, but it's going to have to be done at a much higher level because there's only about, nobody knows, but it's probably about 6 billion ounces of gold in the world uh, above ground. Uh, not very much, actually. Uh, trivial. So um, uh, I'm. Uh, it's the only financial asset that's not simultaneously somebody else's liability. And you can say that for Bitcoin too, I suppose, because um, 
it is a financial asset now because it's very useful as a money. It uh, fulfills Aristotle's uh, five-part definition of what should be a good money. It's got to be durable. It's got to be divisible. It's got to be convenient. It's got to be consistent. That's why you don't use real estate as money or artwork. And it's got to have use value, value in itself. And that was the problem that I had with Bitcoin to start with. But as a transfer mechanism, very valuable. So, um, yeah, uh, both gold and Bitcoin are going to do very, very well. And, and silver, too, because it's a very small market uh, uh, where there's not a lot of inventory. Another story similar to gold, but also an industrial metal. So, yeah, I, I listen, Jeff, I think we can all make a lot of money. And that's the best thing that you can do to insulate yourself or ourselves from the chaos that I think is forthcoming in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I don't, I, very interestingly, I think so many people are going to lose so much during this next uh, collapse or crisis or whatever you want to call what's going to happen. You're going to see a lot of people just get wiped out. So if you have almost anything after that, uh, whether it be gold, silver, real estate, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, you're going to become like the the rich guy around town. Uh, and, and this is actually kind of a beautiful thing that I've been thinking about quite a bit is most of the people that are into, they've got their, they hold dollars, they got it in a bank, uh, they work for the government uh, or they do things, they support the government. They're all going to get wiped out. And most of the people who are into precious metals are mostly libertarian people, and most of the people who are into cryptos are mostly all anarcho-capitalist type people, and they might end up with a lot of the wealth after all this goes away. It's sort of like that saying in the Bible, like the meek uh, will inherit the earth uh, that keeps coming into my head. Uh, the meek, I don't know what the word meek means. Uh, you're more of a historian and a thinker about words than me, but that kind of implies to me that they don't go around like beating people up too much, right? Like a little mouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so in some ways, I kind of see the libertarians and the, the anarchists kind of like as that could be uh, considered like the meek, because we're not going around telling people what to do. We're not stealing from them. We're not beating them up. We're not uh, doing all those sort of things. Right. So I don't know, like maybe I'm crazy, but that, that could be what happens over the next few years. And, like and wouldn't that be amazing? Jeff, and I'm very optimistic for the long term future, because <clears throat> as a technophile, I believe that uh, Ray Kurzweil is correct, and that we will see the singularity in 20 years, 25. So I hope we can live that long. And personally, I'd like to trade my body in, which at that point will be pretty decrepit. Uh, let's say for a clone of Bruce Jenner's just before he won the decathlon. <laughs> That'd be fine. I think that's going to be possible. But, um, Just make sure that the brain doesn't come with it or you don't want to end up in a dress 20 years later. <laughs> just, just, just the body. But um, <laughs> the problem is, is that I'm afraid that libertarians are genetic mutants. And we're just a teeny, teeny, weeny little part of the human race. And all these other chimpanzees out there like to hoot and pant at each other from across the watering hole and have wars and all this kind of thing. Uh, so we're a real minority. They don't understand us. They don't think like us. Uh, and, you know, especially in the West, because the West is collapsing uh, on many grounds. And it's too bad because, in my view, Western civilization is the only civilization 
that's worth anything in the world's history. And that's a long discussion we could have another time uh, about the Western civilization and why it's collapsing and so forth and so on. But I've got to say that all the kids that go to school today are indoctrinated by socialist teachers, especially in college, where they idiotically bankrupt themselves to sit in the desk for four years and listen to all kinds of shit from Marxist professors, but they're indoctrinated. Their heads are full of this. It's hard to change it. And the media's full of it. And Hollywood's full of it. And the government's full Corporations, like that Gillette commercial. And you know, it's pretty hopeless. The world is heading in the wrong direction rapidly and people like it and they believe it. So listen, I'm, yeah, there's cause for optimism, but I'm not too optimistic right now. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fascinating to see. It must be very interesting to you, especially having been around way before even the fax machine or email and all that kind of stuff. Like, There's a lot of people watching this video who can't imagine life. They don't know what life was before email or the internet. There's there's people who are like 20 years old watching this, uh, and they're, they're like, what was that like? Uh, and then you were before me. I, I, I kind of came up and, you know, we, I, was, I remember having a black and white uh, three-channel TV up in northern Canada. Uh, and that was basically <laughs> that was basically the extent of the technology that we had. Uh, but uh, you were out there like really doing stuff uh, when I was just sort of growing up. Um, and so does, you've gone through already so many interesting sort of uh, changes in the world, especially with all the technology now. And now you're in Argentina. I'm in Mexico. It's perfect Internet. Uh, we can talk. It's all for free. Thanks to the market once again. Uh, but at the same time, so many things are going bad as well. Uh, you know, like I said, like like you said, uh, you probably will enjoy just watching it all on your flat screen TV down there in Argentina and be almost like just grab your popcorn and watch because you've, you've been expecting this to happen for a while now. And I think I think you're right. It's about to happen. Yeah. Out on my farm, I've got chickens <laughs> and cows and dairy cows and all kinds of stuff and uh, pretty well self-sustained so um yeah i feel you know but it's been said nobody gets out of here alive so unless we get lucky with the singularity and in between now and then there may be a period of time we were forced to grub for roots and berries to survive i don't know how bad can it get when you've got these idiots armed with stuff that's much worse than nuclear weapons actually and they're crazy they might use it so anything can happen. I guess all we can do is take a, a Taoist or a Zen attitude and kind of, um, you know, just kind of groove. Yeah, that's more and more what I do, actually. I was just listening to some Zen sort of stuff last night before I went to sleep. And, and that's more and more what I've been doing is just kind of watching the world like it's a big movie, uh, not getting too wrapped up in uh, what happens, uh, but being in, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to watch and there's opportunities and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, I remember, and you've, I'm sure you've seen this. I, I'll let you go soon. I know you're busy, but or at least you want to go relax there in Buenos Aires, have some uh, nice uh, Perea or something. Oh, but Actually, I'm going to get back to work on Assassin. Um, oh, great. I'm in the final throes of finishing it, so. 
So I basically just look at the world now as like a big movie and I, I just sort of, you know, whatever happens, happens. And and you know, I'm sure, because I know this, especially uh, five, ten years ago, uh, going to your events or even to some of my events, a lot of people would look all worried and scared and, oh, if the dollar collapses, you know, oh, I'm so scared, I'm so worried. Uh, for, for me personally, like I just whatever happens, I just deal with it. Now it's it's not like you know, and I'm I'm very anti-government as are you, and you know the governments are are still huge in the world, but I don't let it bother me too much. I just like like you do. I just laugh at all these idiot politicians, and then take advantage of all the stupidity th- stupid things they do. Like if they you know raise minimum wage, then I short the stock market <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Like I just take advantage of you know their stupidity, but I I don't get too wrapped up in it anymore. And is that sort of the the same as you now? Do you just kind of have a glass of wine down there and and watch the show? Yeah, it it, it becomes unseemly uh, at a certain point of life to be too money oriented. And Mm. you realize, I mean, anybody will tell you this once they get past a certain age, that money really isn't very important. It's, it's, It's very convenient to have, and it's unpleasant if you don't have it, but there's a limit. It's a question of what economists call marginal disutility. And if you have enough of it, well, that's enough. So you got to spend your time doing something, something else. You, every, you want more, more is always better, but it shouldn't be the center of your life. So yeah, I'm actively involved in the markets because I find it uh, intellectually stimulating and everybody wants more. Hopefully I get more, but uh, no, there's m- much more important things than uh, than, than money. I agree. And uh, health is one of them. And uh, uh, we actually have a huge health and wellness thing at Anarchapoca with tons of amazing stuff, including all kinds of stem cell stuff. I'm actually going to go do stem cells again tomorrow. I've got this guy in Mexico who's amazing. So if you're interested in any of that, just let me know. We've got some of the top guys uh, doing amazing kind of stuff. And, and uh, as you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. So uh, health is actually more important than money. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, being there, Jeff, and actually spending a week. And um, yeah, we'll uh, juke, joke, jive, socialize, perhaps even blow dope, snort coke, maybe <laughs> practice our stroke. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds good. And maybe some poker as well. well. Hopefully we'll have a poker tournament again this year. Yeah, yeah that'll be fun. Cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you go uh, uh, write your third book for the seven-part series uh, of High Ground. Uh, we'll have the links to all that down below. Is there anything you want to let people know or anything you want to finish up on? But also, like, do you want to let people know about any, anything else you're doing, your uh, Casey research or anything else you're doing? No, other than those novels, um, I do an interview every week. Uh, you can go to the website, Casey Research, and they post it there. And you can subscribe uh, if you subscribe to Casey Research, they'll fill your inbox with spam. Maybe not a good idea. Just go to the website. <laughs> do subscribe to internationalman.com, where I do another interview every week. And other really interesting people do other stuff on internationalman.com. So you sh- people should go there and uh, sign up for that. That's really worthwhile. But um, other than that, Jeff, all I'd say is... Um, Keep your pecker hard, your powder dry, and the world will turn. (laughs) 
wise words from a great man. Uh, thank you very much. And if you did, if you didn't know Doug Casey, I think most of my audience knows who Doug Casey is. But if you didn't look up all his stuff, look up his past writings, uh, his book. I think it's called Politically Incorrect. Is that right? Your, your no, other book. That's, pretty, that's a pretty good book of interviews called uh, Totally Incorrect. Totally incorrect. Yeah. Uh, so if you didn't know about it and you're like, who is this guy? Check it out. Uh, he's he's nonstop, very interesting comments and thoughts on the world from every every pr perspective. We could have had a 10 hour interview here and not even scratch the surface. So really a pleasure to have you on, Doug. As always, I look forward to seeing you down here or up here, I guess, in a couple months at an Arcapoco in the Dollar Vigilante Summit. We'll leave it there. That's it for the Dollar Vigilante, helping you to survive and prosper during and after the dollar collapse. <laughs> <laughs>